Lord, we just want to pray that you'll speak to our hearts. God, I thank you that you've got stuff you want to say to us today, Lord, things you want to communicate to us, God. And Lord, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss a thing. But Lord, you want to say that you want to speak. And so, Lord, we open up our, our hearts to you. God, pray you'll speak deeply to us. Lord, whatever you want to say, however you want to say it, Lord, whatever you want to do, Lord, we just surrender and submit to you, Lord, as our good Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, last time I began a two-part message uh, on shame. And last time we were together, uh, two weeks ago, I talked about how Jesus, we looked at how Jesus bore our shame at the cross. The shame of the cross. Today, I want to move on now to bring you a message which I've entitled, Jesus Breaks the Chains of Shame. We're going to hang out this morning in uh, John chapter 21, a well-known story that's coming from there. But the background is that Jesus has given his life upon the cross. He's died to take away our guilt. He's died to take away our shame. And he's now risen from the dead. And in rising from the dead, what we begin to see him do is go about breaking chains of shame. Now, shame is different to guilt. Uh, One really good definition by a chap called Craig Groeschel, which we'll bring up for you to see right now. He said this, he says, guilt says, I did bad. Shame says, I am bad. Guilt says, I did bad. Shame says, I am bad. It is an identity warping emotion that is not from God. Jesus' death and resurrection, friends, is the only remedy for both of those two things. It's the only answer for guilt and for the shame that we feel as a result of the things that we may have done or may have been done to us. Now, I think a lot of us struggle in the church more so with the shame thing than we do with the guilt thing. Now, I say that because in coming to Christ, we've acknowledged that we were guilty. Guilty of messing up. Guilty of falling short. The Bible says that, that God in the New Living Translation says that God has his glorious standard. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We understand that we were guilty of sinning and that there's forgiveness at the cross And we've acknowledged that through faith, through repentance, sorry, and through faith and through trust in Jesus Christ and the finished work of Christ and the cross. And that the guilt, we were guilty, but that guilt has been taken away. And his righteousness has been credited to us and we are made right in the sight of God. Our guilt has been removed. It's an amazing thing. Now, some people say, I understand that. Some people struggle and say, I understand that, but I can't forgive myself. I want to say to you, you're absolutely right. You cannot forgive yourself. You can't because only Jesus can do that. And actually, you were never in a position to forgive yourself. I heard someone once say this, don't try and bear what your Savior bore. In other words, stop trying to take the punishment for something he already has. 
You know, when we do something wrong, we keep punishing ourselves, but we can never do anything about that. We are trying to take a punishment that he has already taken upon himself to forgive us. So actually, I have to come to a place of humbling myself and agreeing with God. If he says I'm forgiven, I am forgiven. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He will. So guilt is a positional thing. I was here, I did bad, I come up short, I acknowledge that I sinned, I messed up, I failed. I, through repentance and faith and trust in Christ and the finished work of the cross, I'm now right with God. I have moved from this position of guilt into a position of forgiveness. I am forgiven. So guilt is a positional thing, but shame is an emotional thing. So guilt says, I did bad. Shame says, I am bad. And shame is when I know that there's forgiveness at the cross, but painful emotions of past failures, mine or those done to me, seems to continually shape my present reality. So when something I've done or something someone has done to me, it continues to shape the way I see, the way I think of myself. And the way I act and do life. And that pain or that failure seems to define how I feel about myself. And it causes a cycle of recrimination. And it results in people who say, I feel I'm a failure. I'm a disappointment. That I'm not good enough. It damages self-worth, self-esteem. And unfortunately, we have an enemy in the devil who loves to play what I've called the shame game. It's not that we're constantly thinking about that thing from our past that we've done or has been done to us, and it may be our recent past or long-term past, but we find it keeps coming back. Maybe something happens and it triggers a memory. And the devil never quits reminding us of the things we've done wrong and the wrong that's been done to us. He seems to be able to remember everything and he's able to bring every detail back and he plays it in full HD it's crystal clear it's vivid replay and you'll remember that last time we talked about how shame naturally makes us want to hide withdraw isolate isolate in some way and we looked at the example of Adam and Eve how our pride or our pain moves us to use whatever we can to hide our shame so when they uh, fell into sin and and they were guilty of doing that then the oncom- the the result of the shame that then came upon them as a result of that their first response to the first time shame was ever felt in all of history in the garden of eden was to cover themselves and to hide behind uh, cloths if you like loin cloths or garments of whatever they were made out of um Uh, And to hide from each other and cover up from each other and to cover up and hide from God. They withdrew. And so I was explaining how shame has the ability to spoil both our vertical relationships and most importantly our horizontal one. Sorry, the other way around. I've read it the opposite way around to what I've written it. It has the ability to destroy our vertical relationship, which is the most important one with God, and the horizontal one with each other. 
And so people will hide behind different things. We cover that in different ways. We can hide behind a facade, a character, a social media, a job. Um, and there's a number of different ways and different things in our homes. That whatever it might be, we find ways to cover and, and, and hide. And I really believe that some of us have got stuck in our Christian life with this issue. But I believe that God wants to move you forward. I believe that that's a word for us in 2021, 2021. I've heard others say it. I've been hearing it this year that the word over this year, people are saying is forward, forward. But Jesus knew that even with his first disciples, for some of us to be able to move forward, that will only happen if shame is broken off. Jesus wants to break chains of shame. And so having died on the cross and having risen from the grave, Jesus appears to his disciples with a word for them and essentially that word is forward. John 20, 21 says, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I've died, he's saying. I have risen. I've defeated death and I'm here now to launch you forward. To launch you forward into my call into my purposes and into my plans for your life. I have come to launch you forward. And Jesus appears, as you look through John 20 and John 21, Jesus appears on three separate occasions. John 21 being the third time, which is what we're going to be in in just a moment. But he appears three times to do three things that are essential to help him to move a believer forward. The first one is in John 20, verse 21 to 22. I read it at the beginning this morning. He comes, he brings peace into that room. He breathes on them with his Holy Spirit as he says, my call upon you is I'm sending you, even though I'm sending you out into this world. And he said, I'm not sending you out alone. I'm breathing on you with the Holy Spirit to equip you. And so the first time he appears to them was for them to understand there is a call upon their life and that he would equip them to fulfill all he was calling them and sending them to do. Eight days later, he appears in the room when they're locked in again to Thomas. Mainly, uh, to, not just to Thomas, but all the disciples are there, we're told. John 20, verse 24 to 28. And he comes to remove doubt, mainly for the benefit of Thomas, but every disciple is there witnessing what happens? They're called, they're equipped. He wants all doubt to be taken away. And then for a third time, he appears now, now to break chains of shame. John 21, verse 1 to 19 says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again, this is the third time, to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, that's Galilee. He revealed himself in this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and, others of the, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children... Do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. So they cast it. Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, which fish with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you did not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, forward, follow me. Forward. We're going forward, Simon Peter. You know, the night before Jesus was crucified... I want us to remember that Peter had said to him in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33 to 35, you can read about it. I'll be with you to the end of the line, Jesus. I mean, if everyone else bails on you, I'm not going to bail on you. I'll, I'll be there. And Jesus has said to him, you know, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And he's like, not me. Never me. I'm not going to quit on you. I'm going to see this one through. And it says in Matthew 26, verse 75 there, about how when he heard the crow of the rooster on that third occasion, when he denied Jesus three times, having said, I'll never do it, I won't quit, I'm sure, I'm confident, I won't fail you, I won't let you down. It says he went outside and it says, and I quote, he wept bitterly. He says, I'll die for you, even if I've got to die, I'm not going to quit. And he quit. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now by John 21, of course, Jesus has died upon the cross. But it's interesting that in that wept bitterly, I believe that's actually known if you look it up as Peter's repentance. Because that was more than tears of remorse. It actually indicates when you look at the root meaning of what happened there, it indicates a real sorrow and a turning from sin. He knew he was guilty of failing and coming up short, and he took it to God. By John 21, as I said, Jesus has died upon the cross. He's already paid for Peter's sin. That's dealt with, that's finished. But I believe that Jesus still knew that Peter was marked by the shame. Peter, strong, bold, committed Peter. The night before Jesus is crucified, when he's alone and on his own, 
he bails. He'd been so confident, so sure of himself. And when it come to the crunch, three times he denied knowing Christ. It was a crushing triple failure. I think it's hard to imagine the type of shame he felt quitting on Jesus that night. You see, shame is so often linked or rooted to the feeling that we fail to live up to expectations. I want you to hear that. Shame is often linked or rooted to the feeling that we failed to live up to expectations. What God would expect of us. What we expect of ourselves. What we feel other people expect of us. You know, sometimes what we expect of ourselves and what we feel other people expect of us actually can be what's known as unrealistic expectations. I find it really interesting that yesterday... It just sort of hit me and it just occurred to me, Peter expected something of himself that even Jesus didn't. He said, I'm not going to quit. And Jesus was saying, look, this is going to happen. And Peter was placing all this expectation upon himself. Expectations are something we either place upon ourselves or others place upon us. Or we feel that others have placed upon us. And when I fail to live up to those ideals and those expectations, mine or others, or even God's, then I feel shame. Friends, that's one of the reasons why we need to be so careful about our language, the way we speak to each other and treat each other. As parents, the things we speak to our kids. As bosses, the way we treat our employees, whatever it might be. Because when someone begins to feel like they fail to live up to expectations, and I feel there's people out there who feel I'm a disappointment to God. I've failed to live up to what God is expecting of me. It's people I say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a disappointment to myself. I've failed to live up to my own expectations. I'm a disappointment to my husband or my wife, to my children or my family or my friends because I've not lived up to what I felt they expected of me. And Peter felt like he'd failed to live up to expectations. I believe he did. He failed. I believe he would have felt I failed to live up to to what God would have expected me in this circumstance. I failed to live up to what I expected of me. I failed to live up to what others would have expected me. He said it in front of all the others. I'll be with you. I won't bail. But Jesus' heart is to move Peter forward. But if that's going to happen, he's got to break the shame off of him. And the trouble is that Peter's gone backwards, not forwards. And Jesus sees that. And he needs to come and he needs to get him moving in the right direction again. Peter's back out fishing. That's his old job. That's the one he'd left behind in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus first called him and first said to him in Matthew 4, follow me. He's gone back to his old job. You could say he'd gone backwards, not forwards. It's interesting that shame often causes us to retreat and withdraw. Jesus has to say to him again in John 21 verse 19, follow me. He'd already said that once to Peter on the shore at Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee in Matthew 4. He'd already said to him there, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Now he's back fishing fish. Jesus was calling him forward. It's interesting that in that withdrawing, it had been a fruitless and frustrating place to be. He'd caught nothing. Didn't feel there was any reward or fruit in that. 
And Jesus appears on the beach with some fishing advice. And they pull in this great catch. And Jesus has prepared a campfire and breakfast. And Jesus just says to them, verse 12, come and have breakfast with me. I love how Jesus deals with Peter's shame. Not Peter, join me in a courtroom for interrogation. But Peter, I've cooked some breakfast. Won't you join me on the beach? Let's have some breakfast together. The devil, well, he'd be up in your ears like, why did you do it? Why did that happen? You should be so ashamed of yourself. We'd be like in our own heart and in our own mind going, why did I do it? Why did it happen? I'm so ashamed of myself. The risen Jesus, the one who sustains, who created and sustains the whole universe, turns around and just says, are you hungry? Let's have breakfast together. See, friends, when we fail and we come up short or we sin and we mess up, I want you to know that Christ's heart is always restoration. It's to move us forward. Sure, I'm sure you would have heard it before, but we see that in the significance of where the conversation happens. It says this specifically, it happens around the charcoal fire. There's only one other place in the New Testament where that specific Greek term for charcoal fire is used. That's John chapter 18, verse 18. It's the last charcoal fire that Peter was at was the one in the courtyard when he denied Christ. That's the only other place, the two times we have this specific word here that's used for this charcoal fire. In the chief priest's courtyard, at one charcoal fire, Peter had denied Christ. Now he found himself at another charcoal fire. You know, when I was studying this, I was, the point was made in one of the things about how the smell, our sense of smell has the ability to conjure up vivid memories. There was a piece on the power of smell in the Telegraph. It said this, our sense of smell is one of the most powerful senses we possess. And the merest hint of something familiar can trigger a memory or moment in our life. The reason for this is simple. It's because there is a direct scientifically proven link in our brains between memory and smell. How many people know that's true? Right, so when I smell deep fried, homemade cut, deep fried chips, and I don't smell them very often these days now, it takes me back to fond memories of a childhood whereby I would come home from school, and I may have told you this story before, but we had a deep fat fry when they, I remember mum first getting one, she'd done home cooked chips, and the smell of that used to waft all the way up Fox's Lane in West Lynn as I reached the top, and it used to hit my nose. It's like those cartoons when you just dial into it, and it just seems to draw you home. It was a fond smell. I loved the smell of homemade chips. And my body bore witness to the fact that I really loved homemade chips. Conversely, a few years ago, we was on holiday in Colchester going to the zoo and we had chicken, for, chicken fajitas in the caravan for tea. And I didn't know that me and Jake had obviously caught some kind of bug, but that was the last tea we had before it was recycled and revisited on numerous occasions all through the course of that night. 
And all the way home, as we drove home early, as I drove the caravan home and opened the door periodically in every lay-by going, not every lay-by, but periodically on the way home. And Jake was throwing up and I was throwing up. And now when I smell chicken fajitas, don't even go there. Good memories, bad memories. Now, I'm being lighthearted. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. The smell of a charcoal fire hits his nose. See, friends, present feelings of shame are often linked to past or painful memories. And it's like as Peter sits there, it's like, oh, my life, is Jesus really doing this? Is he taking me back to the scene of my failure? Was it to punish him? No. I want you to know Jesus wants to meet you there. Jesus wanted to meet him at the place of his failure. Not to punish him for it, but to turn a campfire of shame into a campfire of restoration. A fire of failure becomes a fire of fellowship. As he says, Peter, let's have some breakfast. Food was a sign of fellowship in Bible days. They're sitting by the Sea of Galilee. Where did Peter first call him? By the Sea of Galilee. Jesus wants us to know that failure is an event. It doesn't have to be our destiny. I don't know why, but it just seemed like a number of these things were coming to me as I put it together. So if I'm dropping loads of one-liners at you, then just take what you can. But failure is an event. It doesn't have to be our destiny. And then Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, I've got some questions for you. Now imagine what goes through Peter's mind at that point he's probably thinking oh boy as Jesus begins to turn to him and wants to have a little chat with him about something he doesn't even say Peter just come for a little one-to-one private chat with me up the beach away from the rest of the disciples he says actually Peter we're going to have a little chat around the campfire and do you know what we're going to do it in front of everyone he's probably thinking Jesus is going to say Peter why did you do that guys don't let me down like he let me down Why did you mess up like that? Why did you fail? Explain yourself. Come on, are you going to promise to do better? Are you going to promise to do better in front of your brothers? Jesus knew he'd agonized over it. He'd wept bitterly. There was genuine sorrow. Oh, Jesus, are we really going to go over this again? Are you going to make me feel guilty as I sit by this campfire? No. Jesus turns to him. This just shows the heart of Christ. He turns to him and he just says, Peter, do you love me? Three times he says it. You know, if Jesus says something to you three times, it's got to be important. He's essentially saying this. Do you love me more than all of this? More than the fishing, the gear, the boats? Do you love me more than the past? Do you love me more than your failures? Do you love me more than your friends? Do you love me more than your brothers? See, friends, the most important thing to Jesus is do you love him? The most important question when it boils down to everything, even when we've stuffed up, messed up, when we've failed or someone's failed us, is do you love me? Because he wants us to know that our shame doesn't need to define us. He wants our relationship with him to be the defining thing in our life. That we are defined not by our failures, but if we love him, we are defined by the fact that we are his family. Peter, you're not a failure. If you love me, you're my family. Psalm 34 verse 5 says, Those who look to him, that's the Lord, 
Their faces are never covered with shame. The New Living Translation says, No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Peter, get your eyes on me. Do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Then Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, Peter, tend my sheep. Peter, there's a call upon your life that is forward. Don't go backwards in the shame or whatever that you felt. Don't even hit the pause button. There is a call upon your life in me that is forward. Take a lead, Peter. Join my mission. Serve my cause. You're not a failure. Don't count yourself out. Don't hide away sitting on the back row. There's a word right there for some people in the church today. Don't hide away sitting on the back row because you've counted yourself a failure or someone else has said you're a failure or you have failed in some way before God. God's heart is not that you hide for the rest of your life sitting on a back row. Jesus' word to you today is, I want to use you. You're chosen. There's a call upon your life. If you love me, let's go. Let's get busy. Let's build up the church. Let's move forward. And after saying this, he turns to him and he says to him, Peter, follow me. Follow me. To break free of shame, we have to learn to listen to what Jesus says. Rather than what we feel or what the devil says. The devil says, look away from the Lord and count yourself out. Where you fail to live up to expectations, yours, others. The devil says hide in different ways behind different things. But Psalm 34 verse 5 says something there. It says those who look to the Lord are radiant. That's the very opposite of being hidden. That's being seen. If something is radiant, it is seen. Those who look to the Lord don't need to hide. Peter rises up from that place, goes forward. Preaches the first sermon at Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved. The man who carried the shame of striking out three times becomes a hero of the faith. Christ can redeem any failure. That includes our own and those caused to us by others. wonder if the band can just come back. Craig Rochelle said this, he said, Jesus took Peter's failure and transformed it from tragedy into triumph. Once a broken bone heals, it is often strongest at the point of fracture. In the same way, God can take the shame of past failures and amazingly redirect their outcomes towards your future success. God is ready and willing to turn your shame into strength. Are you ready to let go of that shame? And he wants everyone in this room and at home today, he wants all his disciples to know that. That's why he didn't take Peter for a private chat up the beach away from everyone else. He took away his shame for all to see. Publicly, he took it away. He says, Peter, you must know this. And his brothers, you must know this. I take his shame away. One of the reasons we love this guy so much is because we see ourselves in his story. So many people love the story of Peter because they see themselves in his story. Well, then it's important today you see this. Jesus never gave up on this man.
And he doesn't give up on you. And John 21 is in the Bible because Jesus wants to say to us all, I know your past. I know what you've done. I know what's been done to you. I know how you feel about that. I know how you feel that that's who you are. You feel, well, I'm a failure, a disappointment. I'm damaged. I'm broken. But Jesus says that's not who you are. You may remember what happened, but he's appealing to you today. Believe me, you are not what happened. And there are often some charcoal fires that burn in our memories, but Jesus wants to meet us there. He doesn't run from us. He comes to us. He visits us. He was waiting for Peter on the beach. And when Peter saw him, it says he dived into the water. I just want you to simply see this. When he saw Jesus, he cast himself towards him. Just feel that Jesus is waiting on some beaches, if you like, of people's lives today. And the first thing he's waiting for you to do to break free, the first key to breaking free from the very thing that's had your life on pause or in retreat is to cast yourself towards him. When he comes to you, you've got to come to him. He wants you to join him for breakfast on the beach. He wants you to join him around the fire of restoration. When you sin and fall short, we have to get right with God. We have to repent. But when we know that's done and we're sorted and that's forgotten in Jesus' eyes because we are forgiven. And he doesn't come to beat us up with our failures and shortcomings. He doesn't come to lecture us. He wants to share a meal with us. He wants renewed fellowship. Do you love me? He's saying to you today. If you do, then I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. You don't need to hide your face around here. I want you to serve me. I chose you. Get off the bench. Let's get busy. It's time to move forward into my purposes and plans for your life. As I finish right now, I believe that Jesus wants some people to know today. It's time to move on. It's time to move forward on from broken promises, crowing roosters, and yesterday's failure. Today's a new day. There's a new fire burning. The table is set, and Jesus says, come. It's time for you to move forward. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing one last closing song. I'm going to ask Andy and the band just to lead us. Let's just worship him. I believe that word is echoing right now in some people's hearts. And if that's echoing your heart, it doesn't matter if you're in the room or if you're at home, I really want you to just make a stand, a move, a response in some way to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're in front of your family. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't let that shame come upon you as the devil goes. You can't because what will they think of you? I've been there, wrestled it, struggled it loads in my life but you have to just make that response because I said before response opens the doors to encounters response opens the door to God's grace it opens the door to having a a meeting an encounter with Jesus as we humble ourselves and we respond to him he just begins to move in wonderful ways if you hear this word in your heart today at home or in this room simply just stand and as you stand just take one step forward wherever you are just one step and in your heart say Jesus I hear you calling me and I am moving forward in Jesus name amen thanks Andy